0: Yo everyone, welcome back to brand new Techish. It's Techish. the end of the world, but we're still here. <laughs> we're still here. It's Michael.
1: And Abdessi.
0: <laughs> Abidessi, how are you? I think that's the first most important question. Like, how are you at the moment? Are you okay? I'm reporting family? from like, my Give me update.
1: I'm reporting from my bunker. I've been in isolation <laughs> mode for the last nerve no, joking. I'm alright. I've been trying very hard to stay positive in the climate because mm. it, towards the end of last week I, I feel like my anxiety was peaking and I was like I I'm already overwhelmed with horrible situations that are beyond my control and now there's a pandemic. I, it, I don't know about you, but it just felt that like it just got to the point where humanity's fate was at risk.
0: It feels that way. Some of the shit I'm seeing, it feels that way. I mean How are you, are you I, I I'm okay. I'm I, listen, I've been self-isolating for years, bro, before <laughs> this that's, that's solo founder
1: life. <laughs>
0: this is just my day so, Social distancing has also been my norm in it. People have been doing it to me, but what can I say? No nah, I'm joking. Um in all seriousness I'm alright. I've just been staying at home and just working from home. It's the same old shit for us really to be honest. If you're we've been working remotely for years i'm just buying more else
1: goods
0: (laughs) oh boy don't even get me started on that the the amount of like going into stores and seeing like i mean if you notice actually a few episodes back i did say that i stocked up and this was like a few weeks before you started to see it like on the shelves and i'm not saying this because i'm some genius because i don't think it was even a a good thing to do to be honest but it does raise the point to me that i feel like those of us that are on twitter and that are kind of interacting with people that are kind of quote-unquote thought leaders and whatnot. I feel like we're living in the future in the sense that I was trying to ring the alarm to my family, like a couple of weeks ago and nobody was taking me seriously. Really? I was like, this shit's going to get, yeah. Even my, even my homies who are not really on Twitter or really kind of keeping touch in that way. They were like, you're, you're hyping this up. I don't know what you're talking about. They were kind of teasing me. I was like, I'm telling you, you're going to see, Looking at these numbers. I don't see how this is going to go any other way. Yeah. Um, but then ironically now I've had to step away from Twitter because now, yeah, like you said, for anxiety and stuff, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's almost too much now. Like every single person, every single tweet, COVID, COVID, COVID COVID-19. Oh, like, you know, uh um, the rates in Italy are decreasing, but they're going up here. And it's like, okay, I've got to take a step back now because um, there's nothing we can do really, literally apart from asses indoor.
1: At the beginning of the week, I was trying to put a really positive spin on it. I was like, ooh, it's a bit like we're going on a camping trip, except we're camping in our (laughs) own home. I was trying to think of all the fun things. And (laughs) I was like, oh, all the time I'm going to save commuting or meeting people in real life versus just meeting them virtually. I can throw into all these life admin tasks I've been meaning to do or all this like DIY stuff. I started out very positive and idyllic. And I think as the working week has progressed, I've realized that, a lot of the projects that I work on now have to be adapted completely from like a virtual only experience. And now I'm like, Oh, now I have more work to do.
0: Yeah. Basically. <laughs> um, obviously like our thoughts go out to people who, you know, who have been made unemployed or, you know, at my partner's workplace, like they've had to let people go, for example. And it's just terrible, man. And then there's people also who are working for companies. So I'm going to sh- uh, shout out Virgin uh, Airlines. They've told their employees that, um, they're going to have eight weeks unpaid basically. So Richard Branson, the billionaire Mm. is not willing basically to pay the salary of his employees for eight weeks. How do people survive? I mean, you know, the financial advice is always to have, you know, have an emergency fund, but realistically speaking, not everyone's going to do that. No one's going to have the possibility of doing that. Like what's going to happen to all those people? I I don't know. I really fear for like
1: here in the UK, we're going to see a a huge burden on an already inefficient benefit system that a lot of people Mm -hmm. already feel excluded from. Um, one of my friends volunteers at crisis and the stat that they always pull out is that the average person in the uk is three paychecks away from being homeless Mm -hmm. now there have been talks of financial institutions freezing payments uh on debt whether that's mortgages whether that's credit cards i don't know if everyone's doing it i don't know if it has been legislated and that that's official but this is a real wake-up call for all of us to realize how many of us are economically vulnerable in our society i'm thinking of people on zero hours contracts i'm thinking of single parents who rely on nurseries and schools to be open for them to be able mm-hmm. to do their job and f- support their household um you know, people who are not being given the option to work remotely. So are literally putting their lives at risk by still commuting in Mm -hmm. and going in to the office. I don't know. I think this has shown the gap between the people that make decisions and policy and the reality of the most vulnerable people that policies are supposed to help.
0: And I also do think it shows the gap between even the tech sector and the rest of the economy, because most people in the tech sector that I know are kind of, we're kind of fine. Like if you're not, as long as you're not like a contractor or you know, if you work at you know at a fang company like a Facebook or Apple or Google, whatever, you're being looked after. Like I'm hearing, how Facebook's giving like you know cash bonuses to their employees to make sure they were okay. um And most of us are okay with working remotely. It's just the rest of the economy that is like completely and utterly screwed. And I don't know where this is going to end up. I mean, all the restaurants, all the small businesses, all the freelance creatives that I know, like I know so many DJs that are like, well, if there's no events for the next, you know, however many months, like I might have to go back to get a regular job. Like it's it's, it's done for me now. Like all my career plans are out the window. So it's, it's crazy. I think um,
1: we're also learning how poorly prepared we are. One, yep, to act, I was going to say that to act on a global level. And two, to deal with this type of crisis, even though a lot of experts in the field of pandemics and stuff like that have been warning that this is on the cards for a while. Um, so my, my biggest thing is more like, are we going to see this as an opportunity to learn? Or is it just going to be a replay of all the other, you know, disasters I've witnessed in my lifetime where once, once things are basically fixed-ish, it's back to normal, business as usual.
0: I don't know how it can be because I think it will take some time for people to kind of acclimatize to this new reality really of just like, yo man, the next pandemic might be around the corner. Right. And I mean, yeah, you make a good point in the sense that experts have been warning us for years. In fact, there was even a documentary on Netflix called pandemic that came out like a week before the kind of um, the coronavirus started kind of bubbling up. So it's like, it's not as if this is an unknown thing. I feel like what we suffer from is long-term vision from leadership in our corporate sector and in our political, political world. Because, in the corporate sector, everyone's, you know, fighting for the next quarter. And in the political sector, everyone's fighting for the next election. So who's going to sit there and be like, we need to plan long term for something that may or may not happen, um, for something that's invisible and for something that, you know, there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And no one's, no one's, our system is not set up for that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like, there was no incentive for a politician to say, we're going to have these kind of backup supplies. um, Even something as small as the fact that a lot of our medicines, and I know this is true in the States, a lot of the medicines are produced in china a lot of vital life you know saving medicines are produced in china and obviously u.s and china are not on the best of terms and it's like where is the local supply like globalization you know as great as it is in terms of you know um lifting people out of poverty and you know in developing countries it's also makes our world very fragile in the sense that if these supply chains are compromised we're screwed right and that's the type of thinking that hasn't been happening so one thing I wanted to mention actually now is that the Republicans now are, in the U.S. are now talking about instituting a form of UBI. So Andrew Yang, he lost the um, the primary, the Democratic primary, but he mm-hmm. might have won the, the war <laughs> because essentially now they're instituting his ideas. Rumor has it that it's going to be a thousand dollars a month over the next two to three months. Do you think that's what's needed?
1: I saw one of my Trump supporting relatives or Republican relatives <laughs> back in America post something on Facebook because Trump had tweeted saying, oh, I'm going to mail checks myself to the families in need. And they're like, oh, I I really hope this is true. And what I found frustrating about it was that when Andrew Yang was talking about universal um, basic income, many people from the GOP were very quick to just immediately dismiss it. And now the party that they support is suggesting it, it's – like people are like suddenly very excited and I think there's such an interesting argument for the importance of framing and like context because it's not always the the actual thing you disagree with it's like the person who's delivering the message or or the
0: the party that
1: it comes from so I thought that was like just an interesting uh exercise in understanding like you know human cognition and, and the way we make decisions um do I think it's gonna help do I think well, I saw this uh, interesting reflection on on Twitter and um, I, I shared it with you. And, um, oh gosh, am I going to be able to find it now? <laughs> but it was basically was talking right, about right. how it's not people that are flawed. It's like our systems and our structures. We've talked about this right. a lot on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, And
1: I think while that might help, what would be even more helpful is sorting out healthcare. You know, why did Trump yeah, make him repeal Obamacare? Like, why couldn't they just have, gone further down that road of trying to make healthcare more accessible to people, trying to eliminate barriers to accessing healthcare for people, regardless of their background, their job, their socioeconomic class. So, uh, I mean, if, if if they do it as an experiment, and there's something positive that comes out of it, you know, maybe they'll continue exploring other more liberal and progressive policies that they've dismissed and see how they could help. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like there there are more impactful ways to help those most in
0: need? I think it's definitely a band-aid right now that is necessary. If you've lost your income, then this is going to be very welcomed. Um, I think what you're, what you're right though, in terms of healthcare, in terms of these kind of systemic issues, what's been interesting is how all these celebrities have been able to get tested. Like Idris Elba has got tested. He's, he's, um, Got the virus, a few basketball players, Tom Hanks, obviously. And I know people on the ground who have basically come into contact with people who have it. Um, and they're very likely also have it and they can't get tested for nothing. It's literally like, no, we're not testing you. We're not testing you. Like, there's not, there's not enough resources. But hold on. How are these rich people getting tested? So you're right. There's definitely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the disparity is disgusting because this disease doesn't care about whether you're rich or poor. Like, it's going to affect all of us regardless. Um So you're right. There definitely is this kind of systemic things that needs to be fixed. But I think as a band-aid measure, this UBI thing is a good idea. Um, and I think the Democrats have been slipping because I think uh, Kamala Harris tweeted, oh, we should do $500 checks. So when the Republicans are, are to the left of you and you're not the party in power, you have got to do better. Because you mentioned how, like, oh, the Republicans were downplaying UBI. They were laughing at it. But I've said with the Democrats, to be honest, Andrew Yang was the only voice in the wilderness talking about UBI. Everyone, even Bernie all Elizabeth Warren, they were like, no, 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 this is crazy. This is too far out there. We need to do this. We need to do that. And they might have been right. But the fact is, the whole establishment was like against um, this concept. And now everyone's r- reaching for it.
1: The fact that they're going to send a check as a one-off thing is not UBI though, right? Because UBI is it's actually like UBI, system, yeah. in, in terms of universal basic income, it's, a, it's the idea of like systemizing the the dispensing of cash to citizens in the country. So, you know, that that's like a, a system and a structure that you would, like, you would put in place and you'd go, okay, over the course of a year, two, three years, what will be the impact of this cash injection into each of these households? What will be the impact on their standard of living? What will be the impact on the economy? And what the Republicans, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, what they're suggesting is as a relief measure They're going to do this as a one-off thing.
0: Absolutely. It's not Andrew Yang's policy verbatim. Definitely not. It's a temporary um, thing that they want to institute. uh, Whereas his one was obviously like, you know, all year round, regardless uh, of whatever political situation. But where I would say that there is a link between his idea and this is that if you know historically, like whenever there's been bailouts, it's always been bailouts for corporations. It's always been bailouts for the banks. It's never been bailouts for the people, right? So his campaign, there's a concept called the Overton window, which is basically what is the acceptable frame of reference to debate? right? I've got this idea, but it's so radical. No one wants to hear it. But Mm. because of Andrew Young constantly pushing this idea, it's now become normalized. The Overton window has now shifted where UBI is now something that can be discussed in polite company, essentially right now. The political elites are like, well, actually maybe we can look at this. Whereas four or five years ago, what are you talking about? This is communism, right? Um, Yes. So, I give credit to Yang just based off that because now we have a bailout for the people. Like, this is the first time the people are actually getting relief. Like, this is the first time where they've been like, actually, let's do bottom up. Let's not worry about top down. Let's not worry, about, let's not give the banks a bailout with the idea that they're going to loan out the money to people, which never ever does trickle down, whatever. Right. Mm. Um, so I, I give, um, imminent credit to Yang and all the people that worked in this campaign to kind of push this idea forward and popularize it. Um, uh, and you never know, maybe once this settles down, people might like it and it'll carry on.
1: <laughs> I feel that there is an opportunity with the pandemic for, us particularly in the view of capitalism as it exists now for us to instigate a paradigm shift in terms of what we decide to optimize for and if we think of the gap between the richest and the poorest we haven't really been optimizing for welfare in general we've we mm-hmm. we've been focusing on on other more like abstract quantifiable things in relation to to business and enterprise And now we see that people are dying. You know, like you said, the virus shows no discrimination to wealth, race, etc. Everyone's going to get it. Um, And it's creating really interesting conversations about about welfare, about standards of living, about how we want to live and exist as countries, as communities. I feel like we have that opportunity to think about what we want to optimize for, what we want to pressure our governments and policymakers into supporting. And I just hope that we don't miss that opportunity to continue having these conversations throughout the rest of this decade. Like this could be an incredible way to start a decade. I mean, obviously my heart goes out to people who've really been affected, but in terms of like the, the lifespan of humanity, it could be an incredible start to progress in terms of the frameworks and the mindsets that we use to to run our societies
0: yeah here here and i think just finally on it you know a thought squad to everybody who is affected um and all you people that are not like social distancing and you're not staying indoors and you're flouting these kind of things like you're a fool stay indoors please and, please. and just do your part yeah please.
1: okay so let's talk about what is A seemingly growing theme in journalism right now, which is the takedown of the female founder in tech. This is coming to mind because of two particular editorial pieces that have been making the rounds across the internet. The first piece was uh, about the founder of Outdoor Voices, female founder who was recently pushed out of her CEO position while she was on maternity leave due to a number of reports of mismanagement bullying unhappiness with her uh, amongst her team um so this brand outdoor voices if you're not familiar with it it's really big in america uh it had this very chill aesthetic it was like athleisure wear that you know encompassed like a a much more wholesome identity and the founder Mm -hmm. Haney, was very much you know the influencer individual like powerhouse behind this but while lots and lots of very excited millennial women came to work for the brand that they admired as consumers, they started to realize that a lot of that, a lot of the values that were expounded through the amazing advert campaigns and through their social media channels weren't actually realized in the company culture. So it wasn't actually that inclusive. A lot of people actually felt exploited, overworked, mm. uh, and and not listened to. And now, um, Audrey Gelman, CEO and founder of The Wing. Full disclosure, I'm a very happy member of The Wing. (laughs) Um, So I just want to like call out my bias right now. Um, Yeah. She made headlines for being one of the first uh, pregnant women on the cover of, was it Fortune Magazine? Well, um, or Fast Company. and I think it's Fast Company. Fast Company, thank you. And then – Earlier in the year, she also posted an Instagram post, a very heartfelt Instagram post, where she just admitted that her fear of failure forced her to make decisions, you know, regrettable decisions about how she managed teams and how she managed individuals. And she's reviewing the pay structures at the wing. She's reviewing employment contracts. She's reviewing everything in light of, you know, feedback from existing and past employees. Now, despite that, Mm. the New York Times published an article Earlier this week, I think it came out yesterday, um, well, I guess it came out St. Patrick's Day (laughs) for people who are listening Mm. a bit later, Um, and the journalist Amanda Hess, so similar to the other piece about Outdoor Voices, we have a female founder being taken down by a female journalist, and the journalist says, I wrote about The Wing, a club that has built itself as a woman's utopia with a mission of advancing women through community, who is it really for? In this article, she uses a number of anonymous employee accounts to describe a work culture that isn't a utopia, actually a work culture where people felt pressured to perform responsibilities beyond their role, pressured to work late, stay late, where people felt that they'd been spoken down to, where even to the point they felt they'd faced discrimination, racism, et cetera. Um, Now, the debate here is, I'm guessing you're going to ask me how do I feel mm. about, about these critiques?
0: Take the floor. I mean, you know, because, um, <laughs> <this> is um, <sighs> the, third, the, the the previous article that was similar was the one about away. And I think when I asked you last time, do you feel like there's some kind of systemic idea of taking down female founders? You were like, no, like it's more based on the actions of these individuals, et cetera, Ooh. et cetera. Has your opinion shifted now? Because now there's three articles in a very short period of time, similar premises, um, do you think now there's like a, an undue harsh spotlight on female founders?
1: I think the, I I think the th- examples of a way the the, the story on a way, the story on out divorces and the story on the, the wing are not the same level of journalism and reporting. So I don't think it's fair right. to, to compare all of them in the same way. And this is actually a really really sound point that Kara Swisher made on the internet yesterday with the away piece. It was extremely detailed and it was not only a critique of the CEO, it was also a critique of the business and the culture. So there was like a real sort of like in-depth analysis on customer services, how they were treated, how they were incentivized and like the irony of the fact that someone whose job it is to make customers have a great experience was themselves feeling completely bullied into doing their role. So there was like a very, from, at least from the position of journalistic integrity, I felt that there was a lot going on there with the outdoor voices piece. And also with the wing piece, I don't want to do a disservice to uh, the journalists. I don't know them personally, but it does feel a bit like editors are like, this stuff is clickbait. This stuff performs really well go out and find another female founder to take down. And, you know, they both have a precursor that all of the employees had to share information anonymously because of NDAs, et cetera. But at the same time, I find it really hard to believe, you know, if someone wanted to come to me now and write an expose on a company that I, I worked for before, you know, let's say that was Amazon Hotel Tonight or whatever, I find it very difficult to believe those companies would take legal action against me for for saying that now there is of course mm-hmm. repercussions in terms of your own personal identity within within tech i've been reading anna wiener's uncanny valley recently and if you know anyone's read that you know that she's very honest uh, and and quite blunt about the experiences that she had whilst working in silicon valley and she turns them into jokes and sh- and she makes them sound really funny but she's also not working in tech anymore so it's kind of okay right. to do that but i don't know like yeah. here's my take you asked me do i think that there is extra scrutiny on female founders. Of course, like, of course there is. We know that women and men navigate the workplace in different ways. We know that because of patriarchy, women face harsher penalties than men for the same thing. Now, does that mean that every woman in patriarchy should get (laughs) like a blank slate every time she messes up to like do something or like she, she should get more allowances? I'm not necessarily saying that, but what I'm saying is let's think of the cost. Of all of mm-hmm. these conversations. So, one really famous statistic that we always love to tout is the percentage of venture capital funding in the US that goes to female founders. And we know that that's hovered around 2% for the last four or five years. And we also know that the percentage of black women in that is even smaller, it actually decreased year on year. My issue with these female founder takedowns is that we are still so far from where we want to be in terms of gender equality in the tech space as leaders or even as individual contributors. And every time a piece like this comes out, we are just perpetuating we are perpetuating that idea that women should be judged more harshly than men. And I think when we look down in history, 50 years, 100 years, regardless of what happens to the Wing, people like Audrey Gallman and Lauren our founder, are going to be seen as pioneers. And if it weren't for the Wing in 2016, could things like Ethel's Club exist? Could all the other new co-working spaces that are happening exist? So what I'm saying is, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not be like so extreme, like this is right, this is wrong. I think we have to be more nuanced in how we explore these things. And, you know, for me, especially with Outdoor Voices, the jury's still out for me i think mm. letting someone go while they're on maternity leave that's not cool as a society we have to do better because it's not just about individual right. actions it's about their household now i'm not i know she's probably a more privileged person compared to the average american but if i knew that someone in my life had been made redundant while they were on maternity leave i would i would find that rather unjust
0: I think, yeah, it's hard for me to speak on it because you don't want to mansplain. I think it's one of those things where, statistically speaking, like you said, if only 2% of women are getting VC money and now we've got three articles that are in very mainstream publications, that is obviously a disproportionate focus just mathematically as a common sense thing, right? Where are the takedowns of the equivalent companies run by men? Um, But I do feel specifically for the women, oftentimes a lot of times it's women of colour who go to work at these places who have been sold a dream to a certain extent because of the glossy exterior of the brands because of, you know, you've been sold the whole idea of like, this is all in one company. Things are going to be different. And then when it turns out not to be different and you're kind of still within the same class paradigm of being oppressed by your boss, essentially that, Yeah, I feel for them and it's not great. And to be honest, I'm telling all my homies when they come ask me for like career advice, I'm like, go work at a boring place, a company that's doing boring shit because at least you're not going to be tricked into thinking that things are going to be different. Developers at gaming companies, for example, are often the worst paid and the worst treated just because everybody wants to work there. And a lot of times a lot of these cool brands, everybody wants to work there. And because of that, they know they have such a high supply of talent, they can take the piss a bit more. Just think twice before you're like, oh, this company looks cool. I want to work there. That's not telling you enough. That is not an indicator that things are going to be great there to work. In fact, it can often be an indicator of the reverse. (laughs) So that's my two cents on it.
1: Exactly. And I think we're in a fortunate position, particularly for folks who are listening and have not worked in the tech industry to speak on what it's like to work at a startup, particularly a startup that is venture-backed or wants to be venture-backed. You've had your time at Urban Massage. I had my time at Groupon leading up to the IPO, Hotel Tonight, other companies like that. Now, the experiences that employees are describing in these takedowns are experiences I have had. Mm. And I'm sure to some extent you have had them as well. And I think I'm not trying to say like, oh, that makes it okay. You know, the fact that the standards of interaction in tech are so friggin' low that everyone has cried at work. Everyone has felt bullied at work. I'm not saying that's okay, even though that is true. But I am saying that there is a narrative forming that these women leaders are somehow extra vicious to their peers. Mm. And if we, Mm. if we allow that to be the case, and that is really, really damaging for all of us and kind of setting back progress on the
0: equality. front. So, Abba, do you have any um, work-from-home tips since that you're a work-from-home veteran? I'm a what-
1: work-from-home veteran. You're a work-from-home veteran. Yeah, so for all our yeah. Turkish homies that find themselves working from home for the first time, I got a few tips for you. I got a few tips for you. Go um, shoot. <laughs> the first thing I would say is, like, try, if you can, to have a space that's work. And then it means that you can physically remove yourself from work, you know, either at lunchtime or midday or for regular breaks. And breaks are so important. Like make a break that is not related to your computer. Like don't watch a YouTube video or whatever. Like have a break that involves you getting up, going outside, going for a walk, practice social distancing. Or it might just be a case of moving to a different room, picking up your book or your Kindle and having a read of that. But yeah, that would definitely be like one of my top tips, like create space and create different spaces for work and play. (laughs) And the other thing I would say is like, even though it's so fun, like the first few days, the novelty of working from home, you're like, oh, I could just roll out of bed, stay mm-hmm. in my PJs. Don't do that because psychologically yeah. it's not good for you. Like change into your workout clothes, then, you know, do your work, go out for a walk, go for a run, whatever, come back, shower, like be a person, like <laughs> a real adult person doing stuff, even though you don't have to be outside. What about you? What are your tips? You're the work from so home So my guru. tips
0: my tips are so this is probably more applicable to dudes maybe but i would say have a like a smart shirt that you have that's casual that you can just button up quickly and then like so when you have a like a call and you need to be on call you can just put that on quickly and then your bottom half you can wear whatever the hell you want no one's gonna care what look in it that's the honest to god truth i do that a lot i've closed a lot of business deals wearing tracksuit bottoms on the bottom half real cash in my flip-flops but the top half i've got a shirt got my glasses on look presentable And that's a little hack. (laughs) So there we go.
1: Great. I love that. (laughs) That's
0: a little hack. Just have your little shirt on standby, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Yo, everyone. That's been Brand New Techish. Hopefully, we've given you some entertainment value during these crazy times that we haven't scared you too much. Um, Hit us up on hashtag techish. Let us know what you think. And and obviously, during this... Always love to hear from you and obviously during these trying times, if you can support us on patreon.com slash techish if you wanna get more of your favorite podcast. Um and we'll catch you next week. Everybody stay safe. Social, Social distancing, distancing.
1: Social distancing isolation. Social.